0: the third window from the right two
1: flights up by the third window
0: from the right the hello and welcome to episode 22 of the third window films podcast my name is ben and with me is adam from third window films yeah yeah Yo, yo. Basically, if you don't know us by now, this show is a celebration of all things third window films from the perspective of the fan being me and the man himself being Adam Terrell. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, boom, boom. So I sound like shit um, <laughs> <laughs> because it's cold and flu season here in the UK again. And I've got a poorly daughter. So I get everything that comes through this door. So I apologize for the nasally voice. But uh, Adam's going to pick up where I put down, I believe, aren't you, Adam?
1: Yeah, my son is uh, is the opposite. He's just too active all the time. So uh, I don't get sick, let's get tired. <laughs> yeah.
0: But yeah, it's good that we've been able to get some time to get together again because it was Halloween yesterday. Um, is Halloween big in, in Japan?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you've seen the news over the last few weeks, it's all been this, this nonsense about them trying to, to cancel Halloween in Shibuya because uh, Shibuya and uh, the famous Shibuya Crossing is like a meeting up place of like tens of thousands of people on Halloween. And they're trying to stop it because of the uh, Itaewon uh, tragedy last year. So it's been a big, big, big news story in Japan and overseas about canceling Halloween for this year.
0: Wow, but they didn't manage it.
1: They managed to cut down to only a few tens of thousands of people by blocking <laughs> up, <laughs> blocking up all the roads and uh, putting big signs. They spent about half a million dollars just trying to advertise and promote that they weren't allowing Halloween. And um, yes, uh, taxpayers' money uh, put to good use.
0: Wow, that's wild. I mean, do you do uh, trick or treating as well? Like, do you get that door to door kind of trick or treat thing?
1: no hear. no Japanese no. are a bit uh it's going to houses is not really a big thing in Japan even your friends <laughs> houses and all that so it's it's not not a, a big thing at all uh, I think people like their privacy
0: yeah for sure I mean I thought COVID would have ruined that here but people have started up again we got a lot of knocks on our door last night
1: oh really yeah, I mean I was born in, uh, not born I was raised in uh in America and that obviously that's a, a massive thing and I guess during that time of my life when you normally do that sort of stuff, or when you're a kid, you know, I I was in America when I came back to England. I wasn't, so I never really realised that in England they did do that sort of stuff, like trick or treat. Uh, I know oh, they dress
0: yeah. up. No, it's huge. It's just getting bigger every year as well. Like people love it now.
1: Blimey, I didn't realise that, uh, but but yeah, in Japan we we like our, our our privacy. So
0: one cool thing that's just happened though, my daughter's going to be four in January. Um, and every day she goes through you know disney plus and she just wants to watch moana encanto uh little mermaid all this stuff and one day she was like daddy i want to watch the alien film and i <laughs> thought like hold on do you mean ridley scott's <laughs> alien but just no it was et spielberg's et and ah. i was like okay we can we can watch that and i was thinking i was like i think it gets pretty dark at the end it's been a while since i've seen it um but she absolutely fucking loved it. And she's obsessed now. We've watched it like three or four times since. Um, it's just that's a classic. Beautiful. and Yeah,
1: yeah, it's a classic. I mean, there's a reason why everyone in the world has seen it. Uh, you know, and, and that's, that's why, I guess. I haven't seen it since uh, for a long time, but I'm sure it will come back to me immediately.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been at least a decade for me too. But the reason I bring it up was there's this awesome scene where they're trying to get E.T. out of the house and it's Halloween. So they put a big sheet over him and cut eye holes out like he's a ghost, you know? Uh,
1: Yeah. I don't remember at all, to be honest. (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, one more thing then. So we've got on the 5th of November here, we've got um, Guy Fawkes Night or Bonfire Night or Fireworks Night, whatever you want to call it. I guess that's a very British thing, right? You don't really do that in Japan. Well, by the name Guy Fawkes, I mean, it's quite yeah. interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no fireworks um, for you. Well, you know, j- fireworks
1: are a big thing in Japan, um, a very big thing. And I think actually they had a fireworks festival in Tokyo this year, and um, it was the first time they'd done it since COVID, so it had been four years, and one million people turned up. Wow. Imagine a million people coming through. So uh, <coughs> that was <laughs> that was quite a big festival, and luckily uh, I don't live in Tokyo. But but yes, uh, in the countryside. Firework festivals are quite often, but it has nothing. Uh, I mean, Guy Fawkes, when you think about it, it's quite a darker story, to be honest. Uh,
0: yeah, big time, right? <laughs> but yeah, so I think we'll be going to that hopefully, if we're all well enough. Yeah, hopefully. And yeah, since we last spoke on the podcast where we covered, um, what was the film we covered last
1: episode? Uh, Guy from Underground,
0: start of the Darkest from Company Under- series. That's right. Thank you. Um, we've both been to some film festivals, right? I know. Um, I missed the London East Asian film festival this year, sadly. Um, oh. I was at the Cambridge one, which is really, really good. And I know you've been at the, uh, Tokyo film festival, right? Yeah. I mean, but I've been to the
1: Tokyo film market. Uh, it's just where buy, buying and selling films, uh, a very, uh, unglamorous side of, uh, a film film festival. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's about it. I just went there and did my meetings and, uh, went home. Be I actually left early because I fucking hate Tokyo. So, um, I I left a day early. Uh, I go to my wife and I said, I I can't stand this damn place. I'm coming home early.
0: Amazing. (laughs) I love how little you enjoy all this stuff that you do. Like to me, I'm like, Oh, can you imagine going to the, the marketing side of the Tokyo film festival and being in all the meetings and talking and you're like, Oh, it's a fucking nightmare.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Fucking gal gal as quick as possible. But you know, it'd been obviously four years since the, this film market had been, has happened because of COVID and also uh, it was a, First time to see many people in a long time. And uh, I guess, you know, the, 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 the festival atmosphere was was up a bit, but uh, I couldn't really care less, to be honest.
0: <laughs> I know you probably can't say anything, but you make any nice purchases?
1: You know what? It was like, like it's been for many, uh, you know, at these markets we see all the other buyers of Asian films and all the other film festival programmers from here and there. And, like, it's just every, whenever we meet each other, like, have you seen nothing? No. Is there anything? No. Like, are there any films? No. Like, I, to be honest, yeah, it's, it's uh, it was a bit tough, um, you know, trying to asking, can you send me links? But like, they send me the links, and I watch them, and I'm just like, oh, fucking waste my time again. Um, I did see a great film called Ichiko, um, which is a drama, sort of a mystery. That was a really good film, and I saw the Numike film Lumberjack, but it was uh, a bit too. long. I know you you would be desperate to see it, but for me, I just everyone actually that I spoke to after the film was just like yeah too long you know it, it ended about 10 times and uh you know come on just make a 90 minute film Mieke, for goodness sake you used to make so many v-cinema films and you don't <laughs> need to grow uh, long films every time
0: yeah i guess as they get older i mean scorsese's just made a what is it three and a half hour film
1: uh, yeah i saw it uh the, the day before Tokyo for started started It played in my local cinema in, in the countryside and i i, I saw it and yes yeah, I guess you, you ever think when, once you watch a Scorsese film on the big screen, you try to go watch some like Japanese indie films. It, it does seem like a, a different world, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm just going to wait for the Apple TV premiere of that. I think I, I missed it in the cinema.
1: This, did you catch anything at Cambridge, by the way? I saw the. do you see the new Hamaguchi then?
0: Yes. yes. Yeah. So I saw the new Koryeda, uh monster, which is absolutely amazing. Um, I just, just loved it. It's, it's a very clever film because what it basically does, it's the um, it's the you know Rashomon thing where it shows things, the same sort of timeline from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way it plays with your preconceptions of what's going on is just really, really clever. Um, I watched it with uh, uh, one of my friends, Vicky, and as the credits were rolling at the end, I was like, wow, that is so, so good. And I turned to her and she was just sobbing into the house. <laughs> i was like oh wow this one got her um but yeah if believe it or not the hamaguchi film um evil does not exist that actually i thought was even better um i just was blown away by it uh it's really really slow um yeah for sure but it's under two hours so uh it's not like the drive my car type of slow where you have to really settle in for it mm-hmm. um but there's just a lot of very slow sequences where not much happens and there's not much dialogue, but it really gets its claws into you about the kind of you know modernization of rural Japan and and the damage it's doing. Um, wow. And the second it was finished, I was like, wow! I think that might be my film of the year. I was wow. I was just blown away. Um, but yeah, I saw bits and bobs of other stuff. You know, there's a British film called How to Have Sex, which was quite quite good.
1: Uh, yeah, I think by the title alone, like uh, for the P&A, P&I screening at like London Film Festival, I had, so it was like a thousand people trying to attend or something, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's when you think about it, it's quite simple to get people into the cinema if you want to just put sex in the title.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it's not a fun, happy film. It's really dark. <laughs> uh-huh. It's ba- it's basically about, you know, implied consent and rape and, yeah. you know, uh, young girls going on holiday uh, before they're old enough to really have the you know wherewithal to know what's going on, and yeah, it's pretty heavy. Cross that
1: one off the list immediately. Then
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was good. It was good though, um, and also just one more I saw was um, there's a surprise film. You know, you just turn up, and you don't know what it's going to be, and uh, you know, some some years it's amazing, some years it's complete dud. Um, but this year it came up, and uh, it goes. This film is based on real events, and I thought, okay, what we got here? And then uh, Taika Waititi showed up in a ridiculous costume and a massive handlebar moustache, and started talking about football is a beautiful game. And I'm like, oh no, this is his new soccer film. It's uh, next goal wins. Um, and the irony is, if that had been billed as that, I probably wouldn't have gone. But I yeah. actually really, in- I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was really funny.
1: Yeah, he's he's all right, you know, and, and of course, you know, it's not going to be that awful, I guess. He's, he's he makes pretty entertaining and, and high quality films. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, go, I'd I'd go watch it to be honest. Uh, it's, I'm sure it's quite entertaining.
0: It's really fun. It's um, it goes back to his kind of like hunt for the wilder people style, you know, um, and it's got Michael Fassbender in it in a really wild role. Uh, so yeah, that no, was it. Was good, good times. Cool. cool. Anyway, <laughs> should we get on to the uh, yeah, the... Yeah, yeah, well, I think uh, it's time to open the door, if, if, if you if you will. I've just missed you, man. I wanted to catch up a bit first. Um, <laughs> for the rest of the year now, I'm basically going to uh, catch up on screeners that I've got that, you know, I want sort to of sort out my end of the film of the year list. Um, but the other thing I'm going to do is add all of the Third Window Films discs that I've got to a roulette and uh, just start rewatching them all because they've been sitting on my shelf now for, for so long. A lot of them have only seen them once. Um, so, yeah, I want to go back and kind of revisit a load of them.
1: Yeah, but it's not been that long since you watched them all the, the first time anyway. So what's something else? It's a waste of time, isn't it?
0: <laughs> wow. Do you really think so? Because I, I honestly think if you've seen a film once and really like it, if you don't revisit it within a year or so, then you're missing a trick because you're going to see so much more the second time and you or you know i I, yeah, I just love rewatching films i think yeah. i get more every time
1: maybe i mean stardust brothers i saw, I saw about a hundred times but most of the time it's just one once for me because uh i barely have time to watch a film in the first place but uh yeah stardust brothers i did watch about a hundred times so
0: but the other day i just saw someone tweeting about zoki because they'd watched it on I think um
1: ah uh, yeah prime it's on prime I put it on i put all these i might for some reason like I, I had asked Arrow to like put a bunch of my titles onto Amazon Prime because they're a massive company and they should be able to do that sort of thing. And they were like, oh, our account doesn't allow us to do that. And I'm like, <laughs> what? what? Yeah, like, You've got like Robocop and stuff. Like how can you not put stuff on, on Amazon Prime? And so I just, and then just at the same time, I have an account that I can put on Amazon, but just for rental, not for like the Prime service. Okay. And then like, I just look, I opened up the account to add some more titles. And it was like, you can use prime now. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, all right. How can I use it? And Arrow can't. So I just, <laughs> <laughs> I put all these titles on there, like, like Zoki and Drift in Tokyo and Kamikaze girls and all that. Uh, and yeah, I guess, you know, when it doesn't cost money, people will take a look at stuff and I'm sure more people have seen Zoki in the last few weeks than had ever seen in the past. So it's, it's, it's good, I guess. It doesn't make any money though, unfortunately, but, uh, it, it helps spread the word.
0: Yeah, that's a shame. But no, yeah. so I saw that tweet and I was like, Do you know what, I saw Zoki when you released it, we did an episode on it, and I've never watched it again. And I reread my review and I was like, I really enjoyed it. And then, you know, especially the horror segment. And so I'm like, I'm going back to revisit that. And I just thought there's a lot of discs on there that I have a similar experience with that I really liked and then just didn't go back to. Um, so yeah, and hopefully it will help promote, you know, your discs a bit. I, I thank you for for that. It's a win win all round. Okay, speaking <laughs> of promoting discs, let's go to your latest and one of the greatest, I think, that you've released in a while. This um, band may Takahashi's door.
1: Yes, certainly. I mean, also like a film like One Cut of the Dead. This is, or actually, more like a film like Stardust Brothers. This is a film where you know I've also been working as a sales agent and. uh film festival programmer and also I even i made the subtitles myself and did everything uh so and i'm glad that it's it's taking off you know i mean and i guess that's also thanks to the fact that i sold it to street stream screen box and uh terror mm. and all these like places that are a lot more popular than, than third widow Films. so you know it's really really getting picked up uh, a lot unfortunately everyone is like Oh, I don't want to buy the third window films disc. I'll buy the television disc. I'm like fucking. They've only got it because I sold it to them for fuck's sake. You know, uh, at least you can support the people that, that actually made made it possible to see this film. But you know, what can you do?
0: Oh, mate. <laughs> was it was it was there never any doubt that you were going to sell it to Screenbox and television and stuff?
1: Actually, um, I sold all the rights to to Screenbox and Screenbox sub licenses it, it to television. I didn't even know that television were going to release it, but the Screenbox uh, and their parent company, I mean, uh, sold, sub-licensed the rights. Uh, so, yeah, uh, out of nowhere, I was like, hey, what the hell is this company, Television?" I guess it's been sub-licensed to them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, at least I've got the Third Window Films logo on there so that people will realize where it where it actually came from in the first place. Uh, but, I mean, you know, all, all, all press is good press. And uh, if some of the people who read up about the Television and Screenbox's releases then go to buy a Blu-ray, and they want the one with Door Two as well on it. Then they can buy the third Window Films release.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so you've only done the f- you've only given the first film to them. So Door Two is only on your release.
1: Actually, to be, I offered because I didn't know about the like I said, I didn't know about Terrorvision. I offered both the films to to Screenbox's parent company, and I guess they didn't they didn't want the second one, or at the time <laughs> they didn't want it because when you think about it, it doesn't really fit their catalog. Uh, sure. And then I guess Terrorvision. Wanted it, but and Television asked them. You know, we also want door two, and then Screenbox uh, asked me for it recently. But that was, I guess, Television have already prepared their disc, so they I've I've now sold them. So I'm sure it will come out by Television at a later date. But um, at the time right now, it's just uh, available on the third window films release.
0: Gotcha. I mean, I thought it was quite interesting. So the the release is technically door. And then Door 2 is like an extra, <laughs> like a bonus feature or something, which is interesting.
1: Well, in fairness, I mean, the film has not, pretty much nothing to do with the, with the first one. And uh, it's, it's, as a standalone title, I think it's, uh, if it wasn't called Door 2, I don't think anybody would really have much interest in it. Because it's so far away from the first Door. And uh, I think it does really work just as a bonus feature instead of a sort of standalone release. I mean, I, it couldn't work as a standalone release, uh, I
0: think. I, yeah, I get it. I mean, so I loved, um, you know, um, Ryu Murakami did um, uh, Tokyo Decadence. He wrote the book and then he did the film himself. But then I think May Takahashi did a kind of spiritual sequel to that film called A New Love in Tokyo, which mm. is really similar to Tokyo Diary um, or more similar, I guess. It's kind of like an S&M-charged um, pink film, but with like kind of drama in it. Um, mm. And I lo- I just love them both. I really really like door two. Um, yeah,
1: I mean I I like it as well. But I, I think it's it's if you watch door one and you think like door two is going to be something along those same lines, then obviously it's yeah. it's quite jarring and uh, and because it is a is a pink film that is was made actually. I mean I've I made have mentioned this before on here. I mean I'm, I've certainly told you, but um he made door one and then he was making a completely different film called Tokyo diary, like a just a, and a normal pink film that had nothing to do with the first door. And the producers of that said, well, look, door one is doing really well on VHS right now. So if you call this film door two, we'll give you more money for it. So he's like, <laughs> all right. So they just called it door two to, but it, but it was in, it was going into production with no, not as door two. It wasn't until like sort of in production, they called it door two. So, um, the script has nothing to do with door one whatsoever. Uh, it's a completely different film. I mean, uh, and of course there's lots of doors in it, but there's lots of doors in every film. In the world. So
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. Jasper said that, didn't there? There is doors. Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I, actually, the do, like, so I get why door, I'm just going to call it door one. I get, hmm. get why door one is called door. You know, it's your, your barrier between your family and your, your home and the outside world and, 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 and you know, all of that. But actually door two does make sense as well because she keeps walking into these, rooms mm. are very unsafe and you know she doesn't really know what the hell is going to happen each time there's everything from like you know um nazi co- cosplayers to like um really dark like SM stuff like drownings and knife play and bloodletting and stuff like that it's, it's all fucking insane
1: yeah um, and, and the second half of the film like the second half of door one is like totally hardcore i mean uh, it's yeah. quite r- rough actually there's door two uh, for the second half there are some scenes that are pretty pretty uh yeah extreme
0: yeah man i mean like i said i think i put in my review this is not an erotic film at all like there is sex and nudity in it but it's not erotic at all you're not like turned on it's very kind of anxiety inducing almost half of it
1: yeah it's it's rough for sure uh, uh but um yeah it is it's actually and also like the the protagonist uh of door one the director's wife is also in in yeah. door two so there is some connection she's there. so it, fucking
0: good in it too man i love how different her character is in it like
1: she's good actress. she's cool uh proper she's still acting today actually quite quite a lot so she's a uh, quite a name
0: i love it anyway okay so let's go to door one then so I think if I have this correct, although every time I say any kind of trivia or that I've found, you're always like, that's complete bollocks. <laughs> so <laughs> it might not be, but I think Takahashi uh, had made about 50 films already, right? By the time the door came out. So he'd done a lot of pink films, I think.
1: Yeah. He he right? d- was a proper, proper. And he was like
0: proper from
1: the, uh, the left, like the Wakamatsu red army type, type group of like uh super, super a bit hardcore filmmakers. Like, um, um adachi masao and all those sort of people uh quite extreme and um making quite a variety of films but a lot of pink pink stuff and pink experimental and pink political um and then he was brought into the director's company as one of like the original nine founding directors uh like three came from pink three came from like nikatsu and like three came from the independence uh like eight millimeter scene but yeah takashi was one of the original members and his the first film of the director's company is his film uh called wolf um it's it's part of a trilogy of pink films uh like that All always title like something is sex like running is sex and, oh, and yeah. something is sex so yeah <clears throat> but but yeah you know that that's that's how that's the connection of the director's company but but door is obviously not pink uh, the second one is but the first one is quite different to a lot of the other films that um he made beforehand
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, so Jasper Sharp's commentary on the disc, he kind of goes into the fact that, like, you know, there was this big boom of Japanese v-cinema in the 90s, and then obviously in the noughties you had the kind of J-horror boom and all of that. But, like, in the 80s when this was made, like, Japan was kind of like a really dynamic mm. place for films to be made, right? And there was kind of a rapidly changing industry at the time. And these guys, this director's comment commentary, director's <laughs> company – um, had a lot to do with that, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. And they were making a lot of groundbreaking films. I mean, if you think of like Ishii Sogo's The Crazy Family and Mermaid Legend, and uh, and then actually at the same year from the same company as Door was Evil Dead Trap. And Evil Dead Trap was even marketed. The the, the pamphlet was a, a double pamphlet, both films. So the, the oh, pamphlet of cool. Door also is a pamphlet of, of Evil Dead Trap. It's like a back and front thing. One side, from, from one side to the middle is Evil Dead Trap and the other side to the middle is... Uh, is door and uh, they were released at the same time by the same production company and they both were totally groundbreaking films except evil dead trap became super super world known worldwide and released many times and door was just sort of lost until basically two years ago well i mean it wasn't yeah. really lost i mean it was was released on on vhs and then dvd and th- that's been out of print forever but um because the the prints were lost that it was never really screened and never, ever once screened outside of Japan until uh, where, I don't know where I put it, put it for the first, the, oh, well, I think I brought it to um, Puchon Film Festival in, in July of this year. And that was the first time it ever screened outside uh, of, of Japan.
0: Interesting. I mean, so would you classify this as a horror film personally? <sighs>
1: I mean it's if you like the if the the genre of psychological horror is yeah. considered a horror film then yeah it's it's a horror film but um i guess there are lots of subgenres genres of, of horror i mean it's horrific uh and it's um but it, i mean people say like some people are saying it's not a home invasion film even though it's a it's a film where a home is invaded some people are saying it's not a slasher film even though there's lots <laughs> of slashing and then I always thought it was like the, one of the first Jalo films from Japan because it has that sort of like the constant attacking of of women uh, uh, yeah. in that. Was, but but then again, pe- people are saying no, it's not this and that. So <laughs> it's 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 I don't know how to describe it, but it, it is it's a genre film for sure. Uh, uh, if you want to put it in that that fantasy genre category,
0: yeah, no, I think that's fair. I just love the how, like you said, you, you pitched it to me as this you know Jalo sh- slasher. And I, I, again, I had these like preconceived notions of what that was going to mean. And you're right, it isn't exactly that, but it definitely has those vibes. Yeah, um, it's
1: got a bit of everything, doesn't it? Uh, it's hard to sort of pigeonhole. You can call it a jello and some people will say, oh, I agree, there's points. But uh, it is a bit uh, unique, uh, or it, it definitely was when it was made, for sure.
0: I was kind of doing some research into like who was involved in the production so obviously you mentioned you got um Takahashi's wife Kiko who's a, a very successful actress you know on her own I think it said uh, in her filmography she's been in um uh, Ishii's birth city but I don't remember seeing her in that but it's got such a huge cast list anyway I can't even Remember.
1: Yeah, I don't remember. I mean, it could have it could have been she was just like a extra or something small. Um, but then again, I th- she I've got a film here, um, called Tattoo, uh, which uh, she's in. Yeah, I'm seeing oh, showing yeah. you on screen, but obviously nobody listening to us uh, can hear. And this was um, this was made in 1982, which was uh, the same year as Birth City, wasn't it? And and uh, this she's the lead role of this film. So, if she was in the role, if she was in Birth City, which obviously she could have been, that would have been maybe as a, an extra or something like that. Uh, who knows? Um, I, I don't remember to be honest. I don't remember many women in Birth City.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, exactly the same. <laughs> It's not to rewatch. But one, th- what I definitely knew of was um, uh, the Junji Ito adaptation of uh, Uzumaki. Um, she was in that, and she was awesome in that. So, yeah, I, I was really impressed with her in this.
1: I saw Izumaki like two years ago on, on on film. They had a screening of it in Tokyo, but I, I don't remember her in it at all. Um... But I guess if I watched it now, I'd be like, oh, she's in it
0: for a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. She's, got quite, she's got quite a big role. Uh-huh. That was a funny one, actually. That was one that I saw, and I was instantly blown away. I gave it five stars and went to put it on Letterbox. and everyone was like three, two and a half. I was like, what? Was it you the Yeah, I loved when, it. Yeah,
1: when I first saw it, I also thought the same. And then when I rewatched it a couple of years ago, I'm like, it's not actually that good.
0: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll add that one to the list of rewatches then. <laughs> But yeah, but the other guy, so obviously this is a, uh, t- a two 2 cast of characters. I can't even speak properly. I'm on a lot of cold medicine at the moment. Ah. There's two leads in this film, right? So you've got Kiko as the the housewife, and then you've got, um, is it uh, Daijirou Susumi?
1: Yeah, yeah, and he, uh, is it, yeah, Susumi uh, Daijirou, yes. He actually was not um, really an actor. He was an idol. And the reason why he was cast, or uh, that that Ban-Mei was was saying that um, the director Bammel was saying that um, he wanted to have somebody that didn't look at all like a bad guy, right. so he cast this like really lovable, everybody loves him idol in this role, you know, and it's brilliant casting in that respect. I mean, it's quite obvious when you think about it nowadays, but that wasn't yeah. really how it was like in Japan in those times. Used, people were were typecast and stereotyped quite obviously, and. Uh, you know going completely against the stereotype uh, to to put an idol i mean nowadays even nowadays like it's quite hot news if like an idol plays some sort of dark character and uh in 1988 for like a big idol to play this role was uh super super groundbreaking and um he was also in Hi- hiroko the goblin which was uh the year after if i remember or two years after or or,
0: or, no yeah, way or, okay because i put i said i've not seen him in anything before but i was so impressed with him in this but i i did think i'd recognized him but not been much character. afterwards
1: i, mean, I mean, mean not many other films uh and not much a big, big big part in hero the goblin but uh yeah he was only in a few films and uh yeah it's this was, was was
0: one of them but you're right he starts off as this like smarmy kind of like um pushy salesman that you, we all know we've all we've all met them but then things get more and more kind of unhinged, more and more aggressive. And then when he goes full psychotic, uh, it just, it works so well. He smashes it, I think.
1: Um, Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's really, really well cast and the actors do a fantastic job. I mean, it's it's not your usual, like, uh, of the time, especially in Japan, a lot of these genre films are pretty poorly cast. You know, you'd have, like, cheap actors to be in cheap genre films. And I guess, you know, Nowadays, it's it's a lot different, but um, at the time, I guess it, having proper proper talent in 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 B in in, in what do they call uh in B movies um was kind of oh, yeah. rare.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, like, so with the um, with the rest of the crew, right? So forgetting the cast, like the people like the cinematographer, which uh, is a Yasushi's uh, Sasakibara. Um. In, in some,
1: yeah, something like that.
0: Does that make <laughs> I, sense? I, I, I have to look at it, but yeah were they all part of the director's company too? Were they like use, used on everyone's films or did, did each director have their own crew that they kind of used in?
1: I mean, in most cases, uh, yeah, these director's companies were making films f- f- in that in, in that production company. And they usually most directors have people that they work with a lot, especially uh, cameramen and lighting crew because it, it speeds things up. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's not like, All these crew members were part of the directors' company. The directors' company was just a production company in which these these directors sort of started the projects uh, and were giving money to release them by companies like Toho and ATG. But uh, I mean, so but in most cases, yeah, like most directors work with the same cameramen quite often. So it's just they were probably regulars. um.
0: Interesting. Well, I just because I think a lot of um, credit gets given to directors. Um, for the look and feel of the film. Cause at the end of the day, they are the, the ones that make the decisions, but actually the cinematography in this film is, is wild. And like you said, it wasn't really the sort of thing that Japan was doing at the time and watching it this second time. So again, I watched it once when you sent me the check disc. And then when we actually got the release, I watched it again for this. And I was like, all of the opening sequences, they're just filled with like movement, right? So we're outside of the house. We, like there's a lot of swooping kind of camera work, um they're really bright frames and like really kind of um just like beautifully composed scenes and then once we get actually into the house um there's a very different feel to it like there's not so much movement and everything feels a bit more claustrophobic and the movements become less apparent and i was i was like i just really noticed that on the rewatch that actually there's a lot of the the kind of messages of the film come from just the cinematography alone without even looking at the narrative.
1: Yeah, for sure. And also the the, the way that that films the location and the way that it's edited together to give the, uh, the concept of like this big uh, sweeping... Uh, uh, sort of tower blocks that were being b- built in that era and then the inside of the house is very claustrophobic so uh it's a lot of uh, talking about society especially japanese uh bubble society at the time like if you look at the, the the stuff they have within the house like it's like these uh like big statues and stuff like uh, you know like greek oh, statues man. like like really like over the top uh, stuff that, that just i guess fit the bubble economy at the time uh,
0: a hundred percent. So it kind of reminded me a bit of um Toshiaki Toyota's The Hanging Garden. Mm. Um again because it had all that, you know, again it's the family unit, but also just the opulence of the house compared to like what's going on outside on the street. Yeah, and but the yeah. hanging
1: garden was also said in like a new town, like are these uh these mm. um uh how do you say, uh danchi like uh like projects uh, that were were government initiatives uh, to put all these people together in one one place
0: but i'm really glad you brought up the kind of interior because i I put that down too there was like these huge kind of plastic plants and greek statues and like mosaic artwork and stuff like that and um so i looked up who the art director was um and it's a guy called tarumi hosoishi
1: yeah he's um, big 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 uh, after that for sure
0: Well, so he also did Sogarishi's The Crazy Family, Mm. which I was like, oh, that's that's another director's company film. Um, It's from 1984, I believe, which is a few years before this. Mm. But, um, yeah, obviously that's a very different look and feel. But, again, it's the same idea. It's this house and the family and the whole, like, economic kind of uh, messaging. And so, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, it's a strange
1: time that the, the bubble in Japan. It's, it leads to a lot of like sort of satirical films about it. But uh, yeah, it's it's funny to, to to read up about that that time in Japan because it was quite unique and, and and over the top.
0: I mean, I don't. Should we not? We don't really want to go into spoilers or anything, do we? And go into too much of the stuff that goes on because you know. Hopefully, a lot of people are listening to this and going, "Oh, I want to see this film now."
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that most people have seen the, uh, overhead final shots, uh, because it's, I posted it, I think many, many times on, uh, yeah. on Twitter. And I think that's the uh, clip that really goes viral quite often because people are saying, wait a minute, John Wick didn't start doing, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe John Wick, the directors of John Wick saw this film and got inspired by that. I'm like, no, they didn't. Nobody saw this film, but, um, yeah, <laughs> it, it's quite an amazing, uh, shot for sure that, uh, Really, really, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, I think most people—that's—that's that's what sells the film.
0: But I mean, once you've seen it once, you know, you know, like what goes into it. But because it's got quite a slow pace to it, right? Um, obviously, it's a very difficult thing to set up. That you know, and and all of the kind of actors and the camera crew and everything had to be like timed perfectly. But when you actually watch it really closely, you can see him, like, you know, falling into the bed and stuff and getting tangled up in the sheets, and it's all a bit... Uh, It's a
1: bit cheap. I mean, uh, I think half of the comments are saying, like, John Wick stole this, and the other half of the comments are saying, like, he could have stabbed her, like, 20 times already. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. I'm like, she's getting away quite easily for this, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, all right,
1: all right. The thing is, they can only do that shot once. Oh, really? Yeah, because of, of... the fact that I think they that they because they had to destroy the set to do that didn't they?
0: So oh, yes, yeah, something. You, yeah. Yes,
1: yeah, so you can't like like do it and then like have to build the whole set again from scratch. You know, you can. So so I think it was quite improvised. um Of course, they went through it, but um you know, it, it was I think hammed up in order to make it, it work.
0: Yeah. Okay that makes more sense now then <laughs> you wouldn't be like do that five times and go this is the best take
1: no no mm-hmm. no, no, no not on us on a low budget japanese b movie from like the night <laughs> so.
0: we do also get though this um i called it the here's johnny sequence with where she's kind of like holed up in the bathroom and he's got like breaking through the door with that kind of it's a chainsaw but it's a very kind of, <laughs> almost looks like one that you get from like b and q or something
1: yeah, it's it's proper cheesy, that, when you think about it. I mean, it's so, it's so cheesy that it almost becomes, like, sort of unique, like, where you put the chains <laughs> you're doing, like, the kid's, like, hitting it with, like a... What is he hitting it with? Like a like a roller skate or something like that? Uh,
0: well, she's She's got, like, um uh, like a fork, hasn't she? Like a long yeah. fork that's kind of sparking it. But, yeah, the kid's got something. Uh, I can't remember now. And then she's telling him, like, aren't you a man? Like, don't you...
1: A real man fights you know he i love the, the dialogue that she has there like with, with the, uh, a <laughs> five-year-old son like you know real men fight back and she slaps him across the face at one point like 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 stop crying be a man fight back you know it, it's yeah. quite a cheesy scene i mean that whole end is pretty if you think about it like it doesn't make any sense really um because like if he really wanted to knock the door down he probably could and uh I think he'd kill her a lot easier in in that chase scene, you know, but, but I think that sort of adds the charm of it. Like, uh, it's just like, it's a bit crazy, uh, and, and sort of not really planned out, just like crazy. And, uh, that, that makes it quite entertaining.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think as well, I think it's all quite earned because it's such a slow burn of a film. Like literally, I think it's about 50, 50 minutes to an hour before any of the really gnarly shit starts to happen. Mm. Um, so it does feel quite like it's like a fun release. And the state of the salesman at the end of the film is just fucking insane. Like, it's so funny. Again, I don't want to spoil it, but that chainsaw definitely comes back. Um, and that that yeah. was, uh, they apparently, um, the
1: Japanese ratings board uh, tried to cut that scene. And that's why uh, the scene at the very end with the chainsaw uh, fades out. Um, because that was so they could get the film released. Uh, they couldn't show all of, all of the, the, the scene. I mean, if you've seen it, you know what we're probably talking about but um (laughs) you might wonder why it fades or cuts right abruptly and it's because um they that was as much as they could show without the film getting banned or censored completely
0: i assumed it'd be something like that Mm. it's always funny though isn't it because that was obviously a different time back then so you'd think Mm. now that they could re-put that in but i guess it's too much work and effort and
1: too much money (laughs) you know you you know i think this film was was basically sort of pulled out of a a heap of of negatives that a, a friend of mine found uh, negatives of all these i mean i've mentioned this in the previous podcast that uh all these uh directors company films uh, that were the negatives were found by a friend of mine about two years ago and then went through the process of remastering them or, or getting them right to their original rights holders and and getting them released again and, and this one was one that was kept by my friend to release in japan and he gave me the the rights to handle it internationally but like it was a film that that didn't do well and i don't think it wasn't properly made like a lot of the director's company films so there were no contracts and uh there were no people i don't think even the director got paid for this film to be honest so <laughs> like yeah i don't think they're going to start like spending loads of money to do all this and that T- today i think they probably put the the money into actually paying the director if they if they're going to do anything
0: <laughs> but that's a really interesting thing as well there's like for someone that's like 50 films into his career and is predominantly known for pink films to do something like this which is such a hard flex into like like you said home invasion horror jello uh, suspense thriller all of that stuff it's a pretty ambitious project to, to jump into and i apart from we are making fun of it a little bit and saying you know it's a bit cheesy and she probably would have died quicker and all this stuff it's actually a pretty fucking amazing achievement and i think he really really nails it i think he's an underrated director
1: yeah for sure and i think that's why it's now getting really really talked about online and getting i mean just last month in october it played like it played more than 10 film festivals worldwide so uh it's yeah suddenly getting getting talked about a lot nowadays which is uh and the director's certainly suddenly happy because you know he made this film thirty five years ago and absolutely nothing happened and he didn't even get paid for it since and uh and because of of, of this, he's getting I mean, he was brought I, I got him sent to um invited to Korea to the Pujan Film Festival in Korea with his wife as well. Plus uh two weeks ago he was invited to Taiwan uh to screen the film. So and also I'm getting with with me selling all the rights to these films, it's all going to him as well. So he's finally getting paid as well on top oh, of it. Also.
0: Amazing. You
1: know, we well, accept
0: yeah, yeah sorry i was gonna say that every time i tweet about the film i don't know if i don't think it's him himself because he seems quite <laughs> an advanced age now but his team um go wild for it all the time they're always like thank you so much for talking about the film we're so excited that you're seeing it and all this And i don't think they even know that i'm associated with you or anything like that i just think i'm just yeah. a fan I think that's um actually I'm pr- pretty
1: sure that that is um actually the distribute the person who found the the uh, the, the negative um okay. uh, he runs a company called if you look at the front of the 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 film there's a logo that says outside and mm-hmm. that's his company and, and he uh yes he was the person who um it distributed the film also in Japan so um yeah he's he's obviously quite happy he's a nice guy
0: yeah, he, he seems very smiley in all the photos. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, yeah, so also we've got the Jasper Sharp commentary, which, you know, is amazing. You know that we're both massive fans of Jasper. But um, it's so cool because he kind of goes on these tangents where he just talks about not just the film, but like the whole industry at the time. And you get like this masterclass of, because obviously he, he wrote that behind the pink curtain. So he's had a big history with Bame Takahashi. So he knows so much about him.
1: Yeah, and also I think it's it's an era of Japan that, uh, you know, Japanese films from the 80s are not really released that much, uh, to be honest, and uh, he knows a lot about that time, and I think it's f- one of the first few times that he's been able to talk at length uh, about the era and also his, his uh, love in, in pig cinema, so it's a really uh, interesting uh, commentary. I mean, it's almost like the film ends, he's almost got loads more to say. I think he would have liked to have <laughs> been speaking for another hour.
0: I did actually. I was. I was kind of bummed out that there wasn't a door two commentary as well. He could have just picked it up from there. But uh, I guess that would be too much for the disc.
1: Yeah, I think. I think like a double commentary by the same person. Uh, it's probably <laughs> too much for the for the audience, uh, to be honest.
0: Yeah, but yeah, it's it's awesome, man. Should we talk about door two a little bit um, because it yeah. warrants it?
1: For sure, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's completely different, uh, but it's got its own unique points and the second half is super, super violent, but, uh, yeah, don't, yeah, don't so expect I, the same uh, door one.
0: No, as you said, he was just making his own film called uh, Tokyo diary and they, 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 uh, shoehorned in the, the door two thing. But, um, yeah, it's such an interesting film. I was actually looking as well. So you mentioned uh tattoo, right? Which is that Blu-ray, uh, the, the DVD you've got there. Mm. So the assistant director on this film, film no sorry, the writer of this film is uh Toshiyuki Mitsutani. And they they were the assistant director on tattoo apparently. Alright, alright. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> so again it is it's all like they just work on each of the films together. But yeah, it's basically just about this cool girl um that gets paid by the hour to go to these hotel rooms and just do the most bizarre kind of sadism and masochism <laughs> acts. And the narrative is a bit thin, right? Cause there's not much, not much to say or do. It's just these weird experiences. It's almost like funky forest. If it was just pure S and M.
1: That's the first time I heard funky forest compared to, to, to uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: well, just the way that you could take any one of these, uh, encounters and just have it as its own vignette. You know, it's, they're all so different. Um, mm. and it's just, it's just wild. And again, like I said, I, it's not erotic at all. Um, and I think most pink films, even though they can go on the more extreme side of things, they're still made to kind of like titillate, right? And 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 be well, sensational. I, thought,
1: I think, you know, if you think about a lot of these uh, more political, you know, wakamatsu type pink film directors, they were making the rules of the pink film, which you had to have like a sex scene every 10 minutes. It was like, just fucking do something in the sex scene because we want to make all these other, the, the other parts are the parts we want to focus on. So more like just like have some sex in there was like the main point uh i guess <laughs> just like uh, so whether it's it's uh titillating or not i think it's just like f- f- do the rules of that so you can have the rest of the time to do what you want to do
0: mm. but i mean in terms of actual sex itself there's very little right it's all just like extreme uh, k- uh kink exploring basically
1: yeah there's a lot of talk about it it's a lot of like when you think about it uh quite hardcore apart from the snm stuff like lots of like anal sex and stuff like uh <laughs> like the girls talking about it like a, it's also like voiceover and the girls like uh oh, you know oh, it, it, i i i told him it was the first time i've done it behind but actually i've done it before you know like <laughs> it's, it's really sort of like 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 a bit le- quite like lame and seedy but uh uh it's not what i expected uh, to be honest um you don't really. That's when you think of that sort of stuff. It's more like uh, porn, I guess, not 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 pink, uh.
0: for sure. But again, to go back to uh, what I mentioned earlier about um, a new love in Tokyo, the kind of spiritual successor to uh, Tokyo Decadence, is it's all that. It's like cool girls talking to each other and explaining what it's like. It's like almost like a day in the life of these sex workers, mm. um, and it is just a job at the end of the day. Um, and a lot of them, I think wrongly people think that sex work that you know women are forced into it because they've got no other options or whatever but a lot of these women are very smart they know exactly what they're doing and they realize that they actually are in full control of these situations um they're choosing to be there right and they they know what they're doing well some are yes (laughs)
1: lots of of people are within that uh, line of work so i'm I'm, but i think
0: in this in this film though again it's very different because it, it feels like she's genuinely in danger for a lot of the stuff
1: Oh, for sure. Uh, and she likes that, and that's the whole point. Uh, uh, she likes to put herself uh, in the She knows that she's going to get into something bad, but then it gets, it gets really, really bad, and uh, that changes her mindset. Uh, because that that, they, that one scene towards the end of the film that, uh, is, is super, super rough, actually. It's quite hard to mm-hmm. watch. Um, uh, it's, yeah, very, very extreme, to be honest. And that's the, the only connection, I think, between this and, and and door is that like it for it just turns super extreme after about an hour
0: right yeah 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 i mean so Ryu akami that i mentioned before he wrote a book called piercing i don't know if you've read that or if you saw the film that came out a few years ago there was a kind of exploration of that but again it was a similar thing of like who's in control here and these like power plays that keep happening in these rooms mm. and it, it's just a really interesting kind of look into that um and actually I watched a film last night on Shudder called Suitable Flesh. Um, it's the new film by Joe Lynch. Um, it's got Heather Graham in it, uh, Barbara Crampton. And it's kind of like, it's it's a 50-50 film. Half of it is like 80s practical effects gore kind of film. And the other half is like this 90s erotic thriller kind of really weird, weirdly cheesy sex scenes and stuff. Um and yeah, I, I really liked it. And actually, I'm going on a tangent here, but actually it reminded me quite a lot of Door 3, which I know isn't on this release, but that was um, Kiyoshi Kurosawa's entry into this kind of franchise, which again has absolutely nothing to do with any of the first two films. And that's almost more fascinating in itself, like how Kurosawa got involved and why this film was another Door film, when again, it's got nothing to do with what, what the first two are about.
1: And door three is not, not director's company either. So there's no real connection there. I mean, uh, I, I don't know actually what the connection is. I'm, I'm guessing whoever put out the videotapes of, uh, the three films must have, uh, started the project, but yeah, Kurosawa also came from director's company and made, you know, God from underground and then connected to this door series. And actually I, I mentioned before, but I've not even seen door three. So, um, yeah, I need, I need to do it. But, uh, Maybe if I'm sure, it plays sometimes in Japan uh, in, in in cinemas. So I'll try to watch it at some point.
0: I mean, it's not a very good rip, but there's you can get it on um, the Internet Archive. It's on there.
1: I can't watch that like really really poor quality. I mean, I could uh, back in the days, but um, I'd just rather try to watch it on the big screen uh, on the rare chance that that I I can
0: find it. Yeah. It is interesting though, because again, it's the power play between men and women, but it's in an office situation, and it basically turns into this vampire film. <laughs> it's really, really odd and strange. But because it's Kurosawa, of course, I lapped it up, and I just thought it was awesome.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to his his latest film as well. It's in it's in production now or post production. So uh, his remake of Serpent's Path, which
0: is out. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, early next year. That is fascinating. What, I wonder what made him decide that out of all of his films to do a remake of one of those early ones?
1: Probably the people who produced it. <laughs> like, do you want to remake Serpent's Path? Uh, but I'm surprised why he didn't remake both of them. But I guess it's not that. Yeah. When he made the first two, they were like super low budget. And I guess you can't do that you know, with a French film because you have lots of big companies and unions and all that so it's not like you can't just make two thief cinema films back to back like you could so he just picked one of them or maybe you'll make the next one later who knows i
0: was just gonna say if it makes a lot of money then yeah do the other one
1: and also it means that they've uh because i met Kadokawa at the Tivcom and um and they've doing a 4k remaster of serpent's path and uh eyes of the spider and pulse actually because of the um the uh the remake so at least uh there's a chance to see the originals in uh 4k but uh you know i always when you have these like v cinema super low budget films and you like make them 4k <laughs> so, so it takes away from the from the the dirt of of the uh, low budget aspect of them
0: would you be interested in re-releasing them if they did offer you the 4ks
1: yeah but i don't like working with Kadokawa. i mean the person i was speaking to at the meeting was the festivals person and she's quite cool but like when you deal with Kadokawa, the contracts are just too fucking long like uh <laughs> they're really expensive their contracts are long and i just hate fucking working with them so i, I, I
0: <laughs> knows. Oh, you're on record now I've, I, I don't know if they listen in probably not <laughs> they don't care about anything <laughs> <laughs> uh. Um, yeah, I just, I, I love this release. And I said, coming off the back of The Guard from Underground, is two absolute bangers. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to talk next time about Typhoon Club, though, because it's such a different film. Oh, um, sure. Yeah, and it did, it did blow me away. I was a bit worried. It's one of those films that, you know, everyone was telling me for years. It was one of the masterpieces of Japanese cinema, one of the best Japanese films ever made. And I was like, fucking hell, like you know, it's very weighty and I kind of went in uh, trying to temper my um, excitement a little bit to not, you know, cause it's happened to me before. Someone's gone, this is the best film ever. And I've gone in and I've gone, that was fine, but it wasn't what, you know, um, or I'll go into something like Uzumaki expecting nothing and come out going, that was a masterpiece. But anyway, I'm going, I'm going off tangent again. Uh, Typhoon Club blew me away and um, I've only watched it once so far. So I'll obviously rewatch it for the, the recording next time but um i can't wait for that one again
1: yeah yeah. uh finally it's taken so long and yet and then out of nowhere like it gets released in in america at the same time so uh (laughs) and i i think it's it's finally getting out there thanks actually to hamaguchi uh because hamaguchi was the person who championed it and played at the berlin film festival this year and um that's how it is you know you need uh somebody who's popular to like like how all these people like Tarantino do that right they 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 talk about films that they love, and then those films get in the spotlight again, so, um, yeah, thanks to Hamaguchi, Somai is now in the spotlight, and is he ever because uh he there's he's got all these films getting released in America and um in France, and moving got remastered in one of the Venice film festivals, so um yeah he's he's uh like very in demand,
0: amazing, so yeah, we'll be talking about that in a few weeks' time. Um, is there anything else you want to cover on this episode before we say goodbye?
1: No, I mean, uh, yeah, door is available on region free Blu-ray. Uh, and also if you want to just check it out, uh, you can rent it, um, from, uh, Amazon, uh, or, or Vimeo, or obviously actually it's, it's now available on screen box in America as well. So, um, there are more than a few places to watch it if you would like to.
0: Yes, but I'm going to say it because you clearly aren't going to say it. If you like Adam and what he does, and want him to keep bringing us these amazing films, then the best way you can do it is to go to Terracotta Distribution and buy the discs.
1: Yeah, and <laughs> uh, support Joey because he's got three kids and he's packing all <laughs> that stuff by himself. So he's a, if you're going to support, you know, people who who put their hard hard time and uh, effort into getting Asian cinema out there, then yes, Terracotta is. Uh, the place, but if you only want to see it digitally, well you can also rent it from Terracotta digitally. So uh Of course
0: you can, yeah. We need to talk more about that actually now that Joey's kind of relaunched his streaming platform and um it's amazing some of the stuff he's got on there. There's a huge catalogue. Yeah, but unfortunately door
1: is only available to rent on there, not to uh I I mm. the way we use the word stream, I always could like think it's it means like like subscription based. Um but uh well you can you can rent it or or uh yeah, well you can rent yeah. it on
0: there but it's worth checking out if you haven't if you haven't checked out that streaming platform yet it's got loads of adam stuff on there but there's also just you know hong kong martial arts stuff there's like chinese crime dramas there's like loads of stuff so it's worth checking out
1: for sure so terracotta.com i think so yes terracotta
0: something like that oh, i'll put th- a link this in this. yeah right. yeah i'll put a link in the description for this episode Awesome, man. Well, it's good to catch up with you. Um, hopefully, I can't promise anything, but hopefully next time we record, I'll feel a bit better. And yeah. <laughs> it's helped actually recording standing up this time. It's kept my energy up a bit more than usual. I'm <laughs> normally flagging at the 50-minute mark. Uh, but yeah.
1: man, no more monster drinking today, I guess. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no monster today. <laughs> um, but yeah, follow Adam at, at Third Window Films or at third window is not on twitter i always forget this part you know where we're at um i'm benji box spelt with a y and yeah thank you for listening we'll catch you next time on the third window films podcast. two flights up by the third
1: window from the right two flights up by the third window from the right The third window from the right, two flights up. That's the
0: one with the shape pulled down. That's. The